Amen. Thank you, Jesus. What a joy. How's everybody doing? A few of us are good. A few of us are cold. Is anybody hot? We got a couple hot ones. Thank you, Lord. Jesus. Um, praise God. Jesus Christ, amen. How many are thankful we know when everything around is shaking, the righteous know where to find the king, and he's on his throne, amen. Um, so I just want to get straight to it. I got two thoughts this morning um, that are taken directly from Scripture. The first thought is going to be anchored in Acts chapter 21, so if you want to get that ready. I wanted to continue the Jerusalem-Antioch conversation, but I have to speak to some issues that are at hand. And Antioch's not going anywhere. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things through the power of the Holy Spirit. But I just wanted to address a couple things that maybe you're processing as a citizen or uh, someone who lives in the United States of America uh, I want to speak to some issues and just as a pastor offer a few thoughts. Um, they're not necessarily the definitive thoughts, but they're a few thoughts. And so Acts chapter 21, and then we'll actually end in 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. So if you have those two passages ready, I just want to encourage you, um, we're going to be living in those two passages. All in favor, say aye or Amen. Amen. So just a, a little bit of backstory. The, the first talk, and it's just going to be a talk. I hope to just talk with you as we process the events of this week, the events of this hour together. Um, this is the working title is A Case Study on How to Discern the Lord's Will. How many have ever tried to figure out what the Lord's will is and you didn't think you maybe had all that much success? How many have ever been there? Raise your hand. Like, Lord, is that your will? Is that not your will? You, is that your purpose? Is that not your purpose? And then you had someone else weigh in, and they said, oh, that was surely the Lord's will. But then someone else that you really love and respect said, no, that's not the Lord's will. Come on, who's ever been confused by this thing that we call the Lord's will? <laughs> okay, so can everyone say amen? That's all of us. And then when you throw... I don't know, sort of slightly weighty issues like who is the president of the United States? Like, how many know the stakes get a little bit larger when we start throwing things around like the Lord's will? Can, can we just all agree, amen? Like, this is a weighty, sometimes complicated, well, okay, a lot of times complicated multifaceted, and as your pastor, I'm not going to skirt those things. I want to come straight at them. And, and not so that you walk away going, oh, I'm in full agreement with Pastor Chad. You can weigh every ounce of anything I would throw down this morning against the scriptures, against people you're following Jesus with. I am uh, unapologetic to bring the word to us this morning. And to just let the Lord provoke us to go on a journey of greater discovery. How many think there's more to discover in the realm of discerning what is the Lord's will and purpose? 
And there's just too many people that I love and respect that are way smarter than me who lead bigger churches or smaller churches, have written books, haven't written books, that have differences of opinions. We are in a cultural moment where we immediately brand those that are different in opinion as our enemy. And I want you to know that has to stop. That you'll see the story we're going to look at in Acts 21. There was a difference of opinion in the interpretation of the will of the Lord in the apostolic first century church. And they were okay with it. And so I just want to shed light by opening the scripture on sometimes the complexity of the nuances of discerning and understanding what the Lord is really up to. How many know Ephesians 1, 8 through 10 is a fact? That he has poured out wisdom and knowledge on those who've been redeemed, adopted, forgiven, and established as sons and daughters of the Most High God through Jesus Christ. It says, with all wisdom and understanding, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things together in heaven and on earth together under one head, Jesus Christ. No, 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 you don't understand. If we're not anchored in that eschatological reality that there is a driver of history, there is one in the driver's seat who can't be voted in or voted out. You know, listen, so many believers live like this, like this, we forget who the driver of history, we forget who is the heir of every nation, we forget the one to whom every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Friends, you cannot be fuzzy on how the end of the story plays out, or you'll be gutted all along the way when what you thought should have happened didn't happen, and then something else happens, and you think, Lord, did you fall off your throne? And the answer definitively from Scripture is, he can't fall off his throne. That doesn't mean things don't happen that are tricky, that are costly, that are opposed to what you discern that the Lord's will is. I just want to create space here so that we can together bring our collective questions and to know you are safe in that space when you bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is okay to go, Lord, I thought, I discerned my best, I I want you to know, he, there's a God who is the revealer of mysteries and to whom nothing is a mystery. This is good preaching right now, and this is, just in, this is just introduction. So I want you to know, as believers, as believers whom the Lord has sovereignly chosen to live in this hour, you and I live with insider information that where all of history is headed. Amen. That doesn't, that doesn't free us from responsibility to engage. Come on, someone say, it doesn't free me. If I know how the end plays out, I want to step in with humility and faith and confidence that the Lord's got an assignment for me. But it does free me from thinking the future is fully dependent upon me. Praise God, it is fully dependent, not on just you and I's activity and engagement, but there is a driver of history named Jesus Christ, the Alpha and the Omega. We can trust him. Come on, someone say, we can trust him. All right, I want you to see this. This is a fascinating passage in Acts chapter 21. The Apostle Paul 
was blinded. He was knocked off his donkey. I'm going to let that one sit for a minute. And the voice of the resurrected, ascended Jesus spoke to him. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I've got an assignment for you. All of that zeal that you've been directing to snuff out the Jesus movement, I am now going to leverage for my kingdom purposes. Come on, somebody say, every person is one knock off your donkey moment away from being a threat to Christianity to being a great asset for Christianity. You know, you, listen, if you think it applies just to the one you like, all of us were wayward until the grace of God got our hearts. No one is beyond being knocked off their donkey on their keister to have a face-to-face encounter with the resurrected son. Listen, the early church, Saul was reputable. He hated Christians. Everyone knew it. That's why they didn't hardly accept him into their company. Come on, somebody. But he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ. So Saul, who will become Paul, is knocked off his donkey, and he gets an assignment. You're going to be my chosen instrument to the nations. But your assignment is going to be very, very costly. Someone say costly. You're going to suffer for my name. How many would be thankful? It'd be really cool to see Jesus. Maybe not so cool to be told it's going to be a hard road all along. But how many are a little bit thankful that we serve a God who actually tells us up front what it's really in store for us? Amen. You will suffer if you follow me. You will be thrown out of synagogues. People who persecute you will think they're doing a service to God when they do it. Jesus Christ told us directly up front before we even said yes to his grace. You are in for a fight because the kingdom of the world is opposed to the kingdom of our God and his Christ. So Saul has this assignment. He knows that he's meant to share the gospel to the nations And he also knows that it's going to mean suffering. And how many, if you read the book of Acts, I already gave you the first 12 and a half chapters last week. How many know it pretty much plays out that way? He's always in prison, leaving prison, or on his way back to the favorite cell in the favorite part of the earth, of the Mesopotamian, Mediterranean world. So the Lord's word was true. But how many know when you've got an assignment, even when there's great adversity, the Lord's word cannot be chained? So somehow, even in the redemptive purposes of God, even though Saul, one must think how many more churches he could have planted if he wasn't arrested so much, but God in his infinite wisdom, who is the driver of history, knows that in the prison he'll have a little more time to pass on the apostolic gospel for us, so that 2,000 years later, the fruitfulness of Christianity doesn't rest on one man, now it can be spread to many women and many women who will give themselves to the same purpose. Oh, that's good right there. But no one, if you were the writer of the story, would say, oh, no, let him be free. Let him, have a, let him get as far and expansive. But the Lord and his great understanding of how history is unfolding said, no, from prison, he's going to pen his greatest works. Oh. We have to understand who's driving history. It will free us to wholeheartedly participate and then trust the Lord with the rest. Believers are not fatalistic. Believers don't have the, 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 the privilege to be passive. You and I are called to engage in whatever hour of history we are in, amen? 
And when we engage as the Lord calls us and draws us, we engage wholeheartedly with great faith and humility, with great courage and conviction. And then we give all of our efforts to say, Jesus, you are the only one whose actual name is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So we trust you. Okay. So the Apostle Paul, you're going to suffer, you're going to preach the gospel. Oh, hurry up. Paul had already told the Ephesian elders, I have worked humbly with many tears in verse 19 of chapter 20. I have endured trials and plots that came from the Jews. I've never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in homes. Come on, how many want to experience that kind of boldness in this hour? I have had one message. Everyone say, one message for both Jews and Greeks. One message. How many believe that message hasn't changed? The method and the means that's delivered may change until Jesus comes, but the message never does. The gospel of our King, Jesus. And he says, I've told every person the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God, having faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, verse 22, I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except for the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. How many would like want to have a dialogue with the Holy Spirit at that time and go, are you sure you got that right? <laughs> Come on, somebody. Anyone ever had that conversation with the Lord? Like, the journey shouldn't be this hard. Am I talking to anyone today? It shouldn't be this confusing. It shouldn't be this costly. And I want you to know that your, your and I comfort, your and I's preferences, your and I's opinions are not really all that important to the Lord when it comes to what he's doing on the earth. He doesn't check in with you and me and like, if this helps your bottom line, then it's good for me too. And so Paul says it. He's like, dude, the Holy Spirit tells me everywhere I go, prison and hardship awaits me. And I'm like, dang. How many of us wouldn't even, we, how many believe you've been influenced by a false gospel every hand should be? At some level, God wouldn't call me to do, God wouldn't allow, God, 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 God. And then at the end of the day, it's like, after all of our opinions about God, how many think we're in an hour in this season of prayer and fasting where it's time for the Holy Spirit to speak? What do you think? What do you see? What do you feel? What are you doing in this hour of history? But my life, I love verse 24. Man, if I ever got a tattoo, my dad would disown me. He's coming in a couple weeks, shameless plug. He's gonna be awesome. Right here, he'll be here. Danny Bohai, my father, whom I love and honor. But if I could get it in a place he couldn't see it, I might get this one. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it to finish the course that it was assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. So here we go, listen up. The apostle Paul already knows that to fulfill his calling, great difficulty and suffering is inevitable. 
Just nod your head at me. That was never a debate. That was clear to the, how it played out. Maybe Paul didn't know, obviously he didn't know, but he knew, God, he, didn't, he didn't get ambushed halfway into following Jesus that all of a sudden the road might get difficult. And I want you to know in this hour of great shaking, of great division, you and I cannot afford to have false thinking in our heads that says, if it's difficult, if it's painful, if it might cause me to suffer, then God can't be in it. God wants to eradicate that thought out of the mind of the church. Those are not his thoughts. The very, the very center and source of our salvation is the crucified, slain, and slaughtered lamb. But how many are so thankful that he didn't stay dead? The father vindicated his life and raised him and appointed him to be the son and the heir of all creation. So we don't suffer in vain. We don't have difficulties in vain. This is why I don't have time to tell you all the passages, why the orientation and posture towards suffering in the early church was one of considerate joy. Because God's at work, whether you feel it or not. Come on, even when I don't see it, you're working. Come on, even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop work. Okay, amen. 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 So, in other words, what I'm about to say, Shay, Paul already knew difficulty was inevitable. Amen. So in Acts 21, the Apostle Paul has three years. I'll preach it someday. I don't have time. Ephesus is a revival. The gospel spreads to all of Asia Minor. Handkerchiefs are healing sick people. Just go read all of Acts 19 and 20. An unbelievable ministry. And so the Apostle Paul has to get to Jerusalem because God gave him a word. So in, in chapter 21, it says this. After he set sail and traveled several, several miles, it says when he landed in verse four, we looked up the disciples and stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they told Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Paul has a definitive word in Acts chapter 20 by the Holy Spirit, go to Jerusalem. Acts chapter 21, verse four, he starts hanging out with disciples of the town that he just landed in when the ship came to port. And the disciples there, through the Spirit, say, don't go to Jerusalem. Come on, how many have ever been there in the will of God? Like he said do it, did not do it, this is what he's doing, this is not what he's doing. And it's important to know that it's not outside voices that are making it cloudy or confusing to Paul. It's within the church. Through the Spirit, Acts chapter 21, verse 4, don't go to Jerusalem. But Paul only stays there for a few days. He gets back on the ship and they leave port because he's got to get to Jerusalem. He's coming from far away. But the next town... He does the same thing. He looks up some of the believers. Man, Paul had a great habit. How many know we need each other? We need the community that bears and is growing in the nature and the stature of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And he looks up the disciples. In verse 10 of Acts chapter 21, here it is. Listen. 
While we were staying there, for several days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. He came to us and he took Paul's belt. I should have had a belt to do this to demonstrate it. And he bound his hands and his feet with it. So I don't know how you do that. I mean, right? I mean, how do you do that? Sorry for those of you who are on Facebook. You couldn't see my demonstration of the prophet Agabus. The prophet Agabus comes down, who's already been highly accurate, by the way. He prophesied a famine in Acts chapter 11, and it hit the earth under Emperor Claudius. So this is a reputable prophet. He has a word from God, and he says, the one whose belt, whose belt this is is going to be bound with it. He's prophesying that in this way, the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns the belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Verse 12. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him, Paul, not to go up to Jerusalem. If you're paying attention, we have the Apostle Paul, one vote in the go to Jerusalem column. Everybody say one vote. And all he's standing on is a revelation of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit said, get to Jerusalem. If you're flipping over to Acts 21, you've got two no-go, don't go to Jerusalem in the column of don't go to Jerusalem. And one of them claimed to be through the Spirit, Acts chapter 21, verse 4. And now in Acts chapter 20, 10 through 12, they're saying, after Agabus says, whoever owns the belt's toast, he's going to get bound. Everyone's like, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Come on, anyone feel like we might be in that moment as the church and everyone's got a thought, an opinion, it's a conspiracy, it's not, it's this, it's that. How many believe they are muddy waters? You can act like you're a purist, but they're muddy waters. There's too many voices that I respect on both sides of arguments that are happening. Too many people whose character, whose, whose ministry I, I look to and love and appreciate. It's muddy. Can we say amen to that? It's muddy. You may have clarity on your angle, but it's muddy. Back to back, by the Spirit, Paul gets strong warnings not to go to Jerusalem. I'm just trying to say the cultural moment we're in is not unprecedented. Come on, someone say that. The moment we're in is not unprecedented. God's people in every age and in every era have had to discern what the Spirit is doing in their day. And that's not always clear to every person in the room. Come on, can everyone just agree to that? I'm just reading from the scriptures. Difference. Look what Paul says in verse 13. Oh, this is, you could just feel the emotion. Try to imagine a real person, not some mighty figment of your imagination, but think of a real human just like yourself. Verse 13, Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart 
For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Since he would not be persuaded. Oh, so don't think they were like, but Paul, Agabus is prophetic word. But Paul, through the Spirit in 21.4 from the previous town you just left, through the Spirit it said, don't go to Jerusalem. But Paul's like, but the Spirit told me to go to Jerusalem. But the Jesus community is like, no, but don't go to Jerusalem. But Agabus was really accurate. He already predicted a famine, and it was true. And now he said, whoever owns the belt is... And look at the Apostle Paul. He's like, but I've got a mandate. I already knew the cost. You're making it harder on me by being emotional and showing how much you love and appreciate me. But stop it. Can you feel the emotion in the story? Imagine being surrounded by friends and then you got this demonstration like an Old Testament prophet, like Ezekiel. Remember all those stories where the prophets would like embody the prophetic word. They would lay on their side for 300 plus days. They would eat dung. You, okay, just read the prophets. They're weird. But they're, they would embody and they would enact the prophetic word that God was speaking. Strange breed, I love them. Come on, how many love prophetic voices and the prophetic mantle? It may be strange, but we need the word of the Lord to be released in this hour. In verse 14, look at this. Since he would not be persuaded, we remain silent, except to say, the Lord's will be done. I just wanna unpack it for 30, 30 more seconds. Paul is saying, guys, you're breaking my heart with all of your warnings, with all of your pleadings. Agabus, you didn't help. Thanks a lot for coming down from Judea. I know you're an accurate prophet. You're not helping. <laughs> I already knew that difficulty and suffering and even my life may be the cost of obeying the call of God on my life. And I want you to understand this. Listen, when the church in Acts 21 said, the Lord's will be done. It was not how you and I use that in our day. How many know that many of us, when we say, well, the Lord's will be done, we usually tack it on the end of a prayer we don't really believe God will hear or answer. We pray for a sick person. We try to obey Jesus to lay hands on the sick, but inside our hearts, we're like, gosh, I don't know if it's gonna happen. The Lord's will be done. Maybe your job, you're crying out for a job. You may even be fasting for a job, but in your heart of hearts, you're like, I doubt he'll actually do it. The Lord's will be done. Come on, how many know the Lord's will be done is not a Band-Aid you put on your faithless prayer? The Lord's will be done is the confidence of the believer to wholeheartedly engage and then leave it in the Lord's hands. It is not a whimsy, wishy, oh, the Lord's will, he'll do what he wants anyway, baloney. Baloney. The Lord does his will through the partnership of surrendered humanity. Come on, somebody say amen. And when he couldn't find anybody, Acts, I mean, when he couldn't find nobody to agree with his will, 
Ecclesiastes 7, there was no one righteous. I looked for somebody to intervene. Isaiah 56, there was no one. I looked for someone to stand in the breach. Ezekiel 22, there was no one, there was no one, there was no one. So guess what? In the vacuum of our unavailability to the purposes of God, he sends the son, Jesus Christ. The man who Psalm 40, verse 6 through 8 says, it's written about me in your scroll. I've come to do your will, Father. It's written about me there. I'm wholehearted. I'm fully available to accomplish and inaugurate and enact your redemptive plans and establish your kingdom on the earth as it is in heaven. When there was no one, there was someone who stepped in named Jesus Christ. This is the believer's hope in this hour. Do you hear me? This is our hope this is basic gospel of the kingdom stuff. Paul, so when they said, the Lord's will be done, it wasn't a nice, oh, that's so sweet. That's a proper prayer. No, after they did the difficult work of discerning what the Spirit was saying, Come on, how many know there was more than what's happening in these four verses? There's a conversation, obviously, that's happening. So, Paul, are you sure you heard right? I know, this, I know that, was F, you, that was Ephesus. Are you a little bit seasick because you've been, it's 100 miles since the last town? Are you hungry? Are you sure you're discerning what the Lord's will? And imagine just that process of, but the Lord said, but what about Agabus' word? What about what he said? What, but Saul, Paul, you understand, sometimes it takes a community to, to get at what God is doing. How many know we need each other in this hour for discernment to know the road ahead for each of us? And then to know not everyone goes with Paul to Jerusalem, that even when the Lord speaks, the assignments that he releases might be different for the person next to you than the assignment he has for you. Come on, somebody say this. You cannot moralize your assignment and then hold everybody else to the same standard. It's not fair. That's not how the kingdom works. You can't do that. And you can't look at someone else's assignment in this hour and what faithfulness looks like and then judge it against your own and say, well, they're not intense enough. They're not, they don't believe enough. They don't have enough faith. No, last I checked it, with the measure of Luke and he wrote part two, Acts. Don't think that Luke doesn't want us to remember the first guy who prayed, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Come on, how many know when the Son of God prayed that in the Garden of Gethsemane? It wasn't a, oh, the Lord's will. It was a Lord three times. Are you sure there's not another way? <laughs> Aren't you thankful for the Son of God who was a full human, who experienced our weakness, and he experienced that deep wrestle of the implications of God's will, the messiness, the costliness. I'm so thankful for the Garden of Gethsemane. How about you? I'm thankful for a Jesus who processes and who grinds and who's got to pray something three times until he says, okay, nevertheless, three times in a row, not my will, yours be done. Come on, how many today know we are in a garden-like environment? It's time to wrestle. It's time to discern what the Lord's will is. And at the end of the day, to say, Holy Spirit, not as I will, Father, not as I will, but your will be done. No matter the cost, I'm all in. 
When we say the Lord's will be done, it is not the lowest common denominator of our prayer. It's the highest place the Lord wants to call us to. Lord, no matter the cost, no matter the season, no matter the circumstance, no matter what they think, no matter what it pans out to be, not my will, but your wills be done, Father. The glory of your son and his fame released over all the earth, that is what I wanna give my life to. Man, I love this. So after they saw that they couldn't persuade Paul, dude, that dude had to be hard-headed. I mean, who does that? The Holy Spirit tells me every city, and he's like, I'm going to the city anyway. So what do we have here? Let me show you what we have here. We have to understand that sometimes the counsel we get because who was right and who was wrong? Was Agabus right? What, wait, was Paul right? I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to show you the Bible here. Wait, is discerning? Like, but here's what we see. We have to understand that the counsel that we get from others sometimes may be good intended but not God's intention. Let me say that again. That's a good tweet. That's a good one-liner. Many times, because we get counsel from those that, we, that love us. Don't, these guys love Paul. He became a father. And after the prophetic word from Agabus, you're going to be bound. Don't think that they're speaking with absolute clarity. They are emotionally involved. Like this Acts chapter 20 and 21 case study. That the Lord's will is not synonymous with the path of leaf resistance. Come on, who, who's ever had that honest discussion inside your heart? The Lord wouldn't have asked me to do that. There's no way. Every hand should have been raised. Maybe that wasn't clear enough. The Lord's will is not synonymous with the path that we always want, desired, or hoped for. How many have ever swallowed that pill? <laughs> the Lord's will is not synonymous with the path of ease and comfort. As difficult as it was, here's how I want to end. The Apostle Paul broke through. He weighed the words from two consecutive different churches, communities of disciples who said, don't go. And if you do go, oh no. He tested, he weighed, but he operated in what he knew to be the will of the Lord. And he knew that navigating the difficult, painful, costly road and working out the implications of the Lord's will would be deeply costful, costly, painful, but he resolved to say yes to God's will no matter the circumstance, season, or cost. Kent Hughes, in his commentary on this passage, says, I thought this was a brilliant paragraph. He said, there, the church, their love and their loyalty were commendable. They loved Paul. They wanted to preserve Paul, but their motives, though they were noble, were short-sighted. These Christians were not seeing God's ultimate purposes. They were looking out for Paul's good, but not for God's good. 
Come on, somebody say, I need to bring what I feel, what I think, and submit it to the Lord in humility, knowing that I don't always see clearly. Can we all agree that we don't always see clearly? We don't always hear clearly. And in these difficult days, friends, in our nation, I am so stinking aware that in this room, with this many people, there are plenty of people who have differences of opinions in, in this room. How many agree there's probably several differences in this room? And you know what? I just want to acknowledge that that's okay. I'm just going to let that sit for a minute. So we are so obsessed with the homogenous, have to think like everyone, be like everyone. I want you to know there's room in the kingdom to have a difference of opinion. Not when it comes to the historical claims that you get what I'm saying. I'm saying in issues we're trying to discern, Lord, how does this play out? What is your will? It is not debatable on is Christ's death sufficient for sin once and for all. That's not debatable. That's not what we're talking about. These are difficult days. We need the voice of the Holy Spirit to be released. Come on, somebody. We need the scriptures opened up, lived in, cherished, shared, and embodied. And we need a community of brothers and sisters who will lean in to their best of their ability in a posture of humility, surrender, wholeheartedness, and, and, and resolve, Lord, if you say it, we'll believe it, we'll say yes to the assignment that you have for us, we'll, we'll, we'll fulfill the mandate and the task that we believe and discern to the best of our ability what you're calling us to, and we're gonna trust you with the rest. No matter what, giving ourselves over to the Lord's will trumps everything. I want you to hear that giving ourselves over wholeheartedly to the Lord's will being done in me, in you, in us, and through us is the highest call that all of us, that's the bar that we all bow to. Lord, let your will be done no matter what. I'm in. Rearrange the furniture, cleanse, cut, prune, whatever thing is blocking the flow of your will in me or through me, Lord, go ahead and just take it out. I wanna give myself to what you're doing in this hour. The Lord's will be done. So I wanna encourage you pastorally. I'm just gonna speak it. If you're in the camp, specifically speaking of the elections, if you're in the camp of let's get on with it, Let's pray for President-elect Joe Biden, that God would give him wisdom just like we prayed for four years that he gave President Trump. Bless you if that's what you believe God is doing in this hour. Bless you. Do you hear me? Bless you, honestly. If you're in the camp, let's wait till legal litigations. You believe there's fraud and voter block and you're contending and fasting because you don't feel like it was a fair shake, that there's injustice, God bless you to fast and to press in and pray for God's justice and righteousness to be done. Do you hear me? Did I touch on everybody in the room? I think that's the two big perspectives. I wanna say, it's okay. There's too many people I love and look up to that I would fully follow in their ministry who have one of those two perspectives. Are you hearing me? 
Those of you who are like, get on with it. The vote's the vote. Joe Biden's the president-elect. Let's pray and fast. Maybe he could be the next Cyrus that everyone was prophesying the previous Cyrus was. Well, then get on and pray and fast for him. And if you're in the camp, I'm just trying to be clear. We're stepping right into this. If you're in the camp, no, it's not over till it's over. Well, then God bless you. Cry out. I'm not going to stop you from crying out. I want to encourage you. The point of me giving you Acts chapter 21 this morning is that when it comes to discerning and crying out for the will of the Lord, there might be differences on how the Lord does his will. That was my whole point of preaching the message I gave you this morning. That there is room. There was room then and there is room now. Do not legislate your unique calling and then hold everyone else to that righteous standard. You can't do that. You got to be faithful to what the Lord's saying. Do you hear me? I want to lead a church that's not uniform, that everyone thinks the same and has to be afraid to share. No, 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 no. I'm sorry if that's what you felt. Today's a new day then, I'm hoping, by trying to be transparent. I'd rather us come to the table with humility, with the scriptures open, with what we sense the Spirit is saying, and I'd like to make space for the other person at the table to say, what do you sense the Spirit is saying? And I'd rather us just bring it to the throne room of his mercy and say, Lord, I don't get it. I don't agree with that person. I don't agree with that person. But we all look and lock eyes with the man who is on his throne, who can never be voted out, who can never be overthrown never watch cable news. I've watched more cable news this week than in the last 20. I need, I need healing. <laughs> and no, I am not exaggerating. And yes, I equally flipped between CNN and Fox News. I tried to just, and it was like, what's, what the heck? It was so different. It was so ideologized. And my point is, in this fast, maybe one of the things we could give up is mainstream media. We could get into the secret place and cry out to the Lord to speak. I am, I am dead serious as your pastor. It is visceral. It is not healthy for your soul or your spirit to be one who your intake of the scriptures, of kingdom podcasts, of worship and times of prayer, if that is greater than your time watching the news, then I'm telling you, you are setting yourself up for a recipe of disaster. Okay, anyway, I can speak with authority because I've watched way too much news and it's like. <laughs> Amen. How many want to step in? You want to step into what the Holy Spirit is saying. Amen. I sure hope you've heard that. Whatever sides you're on, whatever you are doing your best to do, whatever voices you listen to, bring them to the scripture, bring them to the table. We're gonna do our best to discern. And here's how I wanna end. Can you guys stay with me for five more minutes? I felt this so strongly. It's only, it's only 11.10. Everyone, just five minutes. I wanna end with this. I wanna end with this. Wednesday, before the altar, I said, Holy Spirit, I need a word for this hour. And I, I didn't pray long. I had devotions that morning. I did my thing. But this was, this was mid-morning. So after devotions, I'm like, Lord, the altar's coming. What are you saying? I believe the Lord gave me 1 Kings chapter 3. So just turn there. This is a very, it's an amazing story, and the points are obvious. I want to end here. 1 Kings chapter 3. I just want to land the plane really quick. 
The context is King Solomon, who was David's heir to Israel, he, instead of asking for fame or for riches or victory over his enemies, what does he ask for? Wisdom! How many want to ask for wisdom in this hour? And if you don't doubt but believe, James 1 says he's going to give wisdom to the single-minded, pure-hearted, clean-handed people of God. He's going to give it. That's all of the book of James. Just go read it. So after Solomon asked for wisdom, what's amazing, because he asked rightly, the Lord went ahead and gave him everything else. Riches, success, fame. How many think we serve a pretty cool God? Okay, this is the story. It's an epic story. Right after God gives him wisdom, he's tested on it. Sometime later, verse 16, two prostitutes came to the king and they had an argument settled, to have it settled. Please, my Lord, one of the prostitutes said, this woman that I live with in the same house, I gave birth to a baby while she was still with me in the house. Three days later, this woman also had a baby. We were alone, and there were only two of us in the house. Okay, two prostitutes sharing a house, both are pregnant, both give birth to babies, three days difference. Everyone say amen. It's an interesting story so far. <laughs> okay, but her baby, verse 19, died during the night. She rolled over on it. Then she got up in the night and took my son from beside me while I was asleep. She laid her dead child in my arms and took mine to sleep beside her. And in the morning, when I tried to nurse my son, he was dead. But when I looked more closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't my son at all. Are we tracking? A baby died. Tragic. I hate it. But one of the prostitutes goes and steals this. You get it. Just making sure we're tracking. Verse 22 then the other woman interrupted, it certainly was your son, and the living child is mine. No, the first woman said, the living child is mine, and the dead one is yours. So they argued back and forth before the king. Then the king said, verse 23, let's get the facts straight. Both of you claim the living child is yours. Come on, you have to see the cultural relevance of this passage. Each says the dead one belongs to the other. All right, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought to the king. Then he said, cut the living child in two and give half to the one woman and half to the other woman. Come on, someone here, verse 26. Then the woman who was the real mother of the living child and who loved him very much cried out, oh no, my Lord, give her the child, please don't kill him. But the other woman said, all right, he will neither be your child or mine. Divide him between us. But the other, then the king said, don't kill the child. Come on, someone say, don't kill the child. No, come on, someone say it, don't kill the child. 
but give him to the woman who wants him to live, for she is his mother. When all of Israel heard the king's decision, the people were in awe of the king, for they saw the wisdom of God that he had given him for rendering justice. I mean, an unbelievable story. Okay? Anyone think that's an unbelievable story that you're gonna go home and read and pray on? Like, okay, Lord, this is very interesting for our day. (laughs) The child's mine. No, it's mine. It's dead. Oh, no, the dead one's yours. Come on, someone say, it's today. And here's what I wanna say in closing. The Lord will execute justice for the people who at all costs cry out for life. Come on, somebody say it. The Lord, at the end of the day, there will be a great revealing, there will be a great uncovering, and every people, every person that has a low view that diminishes life and the image of God and people, the Lord, the man who's not calling for a sword, the man who has a sword coming out of his mouth in Revelation 19, he will execute and render justice to the community that says, I actually don't care. No, the child's got to live. And I want you to know that in this story, there is a precedent for that camp in this room that says, no, the election's not over. I believe it was stolen. So praise God, this is your passage. Take it and use it. Pray it. I'm dead serious. Pray it. But for those of you who are on the other side, you're like, I don't know. I just, I just know I want the nation to flourish. I want my family to thrive. I want the gospel to go out so I can get behind that cry. Well, then get behind that cry. Where I want to land the plane with this passage is the Lord will render justice for the people who cry out for life. Come on, somebody say amen. He will render justice. Do you understand the cost of the legitimate mom? Both are prostitutes. Both children are probably the product of promiscuity, adultery, of sin. But she has enough grace on her life to say, even if it means I don't get to raise him, I still want him to live, give him up. No, my Lord. And so as a church, wherever you're at on the spectrum, I'm pretty sure we can all agree on this one thing. Father, let him live. Let the nation live. Let my city flourish. Come on, somebody. Father, we cry out for the, we cry out for the, we cry out for those who, maybe you feel like something in your own life is stolen. You say, Lord, let it live. Let it live. Let it live. And here's the great thing. Remember how they prayed after Paul couldn't be dissuaded? <laughs> the Lord's will be done. Remember they, remember they said that? What this story in 1 Kings chapter three really gives me peace about, when your life is anchored in truth, there is a level of confidence and courage release when you know you're standing in truth and when you're standing in lies. Amen. So how many would say, would you stand to your feet and would say, Lord, we pray you'd pour out truth and justice in this hour.
Come on, let's just lift our voices right now in your table. Come on, begin to cry out, Lord, loose justice, loose righteousness, loose your word. Come on, in your own prayer, by the Spirit, just begin to engage right now. We'll just wait a couple minutes. Don't be shy. Lift your cry. Lift your voice. Lord, the child's got to live. Come on, someone say it. The child's got to live, Lord. We cry out for justice. We cry out, Lord. Holy Spirit, on one side, we cry out, if there's any, any shroud of, of, of darkness, we pray, expose it in the name of Jesus. If there's any ounce of injustice, if there's any ounce of shadiness and unrighteousness, expose it like you did with King Solomon. And Father, if what has happened is legitimate, then Lord, we're crying out for life. We're crying out for the voiceless. We're crying out for children, both born and unborn. Father, we're crying out regardless, Father, what side we're on. We are crying out to be that community that is wholeheartedly devoted to John 10.10. The Son came to give life and life more abundant, and that is our mandate as the people of God, to be about life, to champion life in every sphere of society and of culture, in our families, in our workplaces, and in the marginalized, in our cities, in our region, in our nation. Father, regardless, we're crying out today, let the child live. Let the child live, Lord. We know that there's differences, there's cloudiness, there's funkiness, but Lord, we know you see the truth. You are the Alpha and the Omega. So we're asking, Lord, in your great mercy to stretch out your hand in this hour. Lord, that we cry out for. Holy Spirit, come. You are the deliverer of truth. You're called the Spirit of truth. And what we're asking for in this hour is that you would reign and rule and let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. When all of Israel saw the answer that Solomon gave, they rejoiced. Father, we thank you that cities rejoice when the righteous rule. So we're asking for righteousness to reign down. We're asking that the foundations of your throne would become the foundations of our lives, of our families, of our church, of our city, and of our nation, and the nations of the earth. Father, we just give, you, give ourselves, like the Apostle Paul, even when there's differences in the church, well, don't do this, do do this. Lord, we ask to have the resolve of Paul. No, the resolve of Jesus, nevertheless, not my will, yours be done. I'm all in, I'm totally surrendered, I'm submitted to the part you're calling me to play. So right now, put your hand on your heart, say, Holy Spirit, I receive grace to step into my assignment. It may be different, it may look different than my brother or my sister. Lord, I'm stepping in. You'll empower what you're calling me into for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.